we're going to be on our sixth saying of Christ where he was on the cross and that's going to be found in the book of John in the 19th chapter. Just to set the occasion, we'll drop back to uh, verse 17. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him on either side one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cr cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus crucified was nigh to the city and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified him, took his garments and laid four parts to every soldier part and also his coat now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. Then said they, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. In other words, by the cross, of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a, a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon the hyssop and put it in his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And so we find a number of those sayings here in this passage. The first saying was really found in the book of Luke where he said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then also in Luke, he said to the thief, the repentant thief, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And then in this passage, uh, Woman, behold thy son, and to John, behold thy mother. And then back in Matthew, we find that we believe it's in this order that he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, after the three hours of darkness and uh, the, dark, the light is coming back and seemingly at this moment the uh, sins have been placed upon him. And then I thirst, and then this morning uh, we're going to look at that phrase, it is finished. Uh, we find in the Bible three times a similar wording as this wording here, it is finished. Uh, 
in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord, upon completion, says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And the comment is that God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And so it was a finished work of creation. It's uh, in the in the original uh, it's a it's a original state. It was perfect, and then we find uh, at the last of the Bible the another saying like this in the Book of Revelation. The seven seals are opened. Uh, the trumpets are sounded. Six vials have been poured out, and then the last vial is poured out before the return of the Lord. And in Revelation 15 it says, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And and so the judgment of God was done, and the return of Christ was soon to follow. And so uh, we find in Genesis that we're, we're finished, the creation, Uh, The judgment, it is done. But here in the middle, the the original creation would have meant nothing, and the judgment at the end of the world is is really insignificant if we don't find here in this passage the term, it is finished. That uh, in, in, in the Greek language, it was only really one word. It wasn't to translate that. It took three words in English. But it was the word teleos, and uh, it, uh, is a, it meant uh, a number of things. It means to bring to a close, to, to bring to an end, to, to execute, to complete, fulfill. Uh, when a farmer was raising livestock and he was trying to improve his herd, and he would uh, come to a place where a calf was born, uh, a young bull calf that was going to be used for breeding stock, and it was exactly the confirmation that he'd been breeding for. He would say, Teleos, it is finished. Uh, when an a, a artist, whether he was painting or doing a sculpture, when he had done all the touch ups that he could do, there were no more defects that he could uh, correct. He would say, it is finished. He would say this word, uh, teleos. It also was used by the priest whenever they would bring an animal in. And they would look over the animal to see if it was was, uh, beneficial or could be used for sacrifice. And they would say, teleos. Some of you remember, probably most of you don't, but... uh, there was a movie that was done years ago uh, called The Passion, and, and it was about the life of Christ. And when, uh, when the character was on the cross, uh, he, spoke, he, he didn't say teleos, but he said uh, he had, they had a prefix on the word epitelios, and in the English, in the, in the movie, it, the guy, the man on the cross, the actor said, it is accomplished. 
And that may seem like a small deal, uh, but it's not. Uh, as we've said here, the word teleos means to bring to an end, to conclude, uh, to, to uh, bring it, bring, uh, to, to end it. But when you use the word teleos, it means to uh, fulfill, it means to bring to pass, to do, and uh, there's, a there's, a, there's a quite a difference between it is accomplished and it is finished. And what you got to understand that the the man who uh, did the passion, uh, uh, Mel Gibson, he was a he he's a Catholic, and, and in fact he's not just a, a modern modern day Catholic, he's he's an old school Catholic, and when you use the word accomplished, it means that. I, you know, I've accomplished my part, or, or he's accomplished his part, and now you can accomplish your part. That it wasn't ended, but it was just a part of the process. And that's exactly what the Catholics maintain today, is that you have to uh, do the sacraments, you have to uh, take of the Mass and... and uh, be, be baptized, and it's, it's a work for salvation. But that is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, teleos, really it was in, it was in a different, uh, you kinda, it was in a different, uh, Greek words are, are kind of expanded, but really what the Lord said in the Greek, he, he said, uh, Day. And uh, why that's significant, I mean, you can see a form here, but what it, why that is significant is because uh, when you have, you know, we, I don't want to get into grammar, uh, past, uh, present, and future, uh, when we usually, usually uh, present, future, Past would mean uh, usually past tense, uh, like I played. I played the game. We change the word "play" and we have this "ed" on here, and that tells us it's past tense. I am playing the game. I will play. Well, <clears throat> when he uses this word "teleste." It's not past, present, or future in the Greek. It has this. It has. It has a past indication, but in the Greek they have this. They have this uh, tense that is called a perfect tense, and whenever, you, uh, whenever you can study that, or pastor brings it out. The perfects in the Bible are outstanding. They, they just stand out. And so when he, 
So when he uses teleste, what it means, it means something that has occurred in the past, describes an action that occurred in the past, once and for all, and it doesn't ever need to be repeated. So it occurred in the past, but the effects of that goes on and on and on and on and on forever. And so when Jesus said, it is finished, teleos, and he used this tense, he means that, he means that something was done in time, in the past in time, but it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a laser that, that you would, that you would, uh, you know, you, you uh, pull the trigger on a laser into outer space and, and it goes on for, forever. Well, this word means that Jesus did something and the effects of that are eternal. That, that it is uh, forever. And so it's very, uh, those, those perfects in the Bible uh, teach tremendous truths to, concerning eternal security and, and the work uh, of God. And so it stands finished. It's, it is finished. Now, also, uh, <clears throat> just note in, in our English here that when, he, when, he, when Jesus said, it is finished, uh, he said, he, 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 he didn't say I, but he said it. One little word makes a lot of difference. Jesus did not say, I'm finished. It wasn't the end of his, his campaign. It wasn't the end that he, and he died as a martyr. But when he says it is finished, he's talking about uh, the work that he came to do. Uh, one of the major religions of the world constantly portray uh, Jesus on the cross, and they make uh, good money in uh, selling crucifixes. And this whole religion is based upon uh, finishing the work of Christ on the cross. But Jesus came down from the cross, and he rose again, and what he's talking about here is, is that the work of salvation, it is finished. I don't have to take Holy Communion. I don't have to have my last rites given to me for, by a priest when I die. But the work concerning man's eternal destiny and his opportunity to receive that for himself has been completed in the work of Christ. So, so um, we'll flesh that out as we go. Now, <clears throat> here's uh, some explanations by other people. Uh, it, it, is, it is finished. What does that apply to? Well, some say it would apply to prophecy. That he finished all the prophecies uh, concerning himself, and if you if we look here in the context, 
in verse 28 and 29, And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. In other words, set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled it a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And so they say, the context says, you know, that he's fulfilling scripture, and, and so what this it is finished about is about fulfilling the scripture that said that there, and I think it was Psalm 69, that he is going to uh, uh, drink vinegar and be offered gall uh, earlier in the crucifixion process. But I would submit to you that, that, that just the, the vinegar, it, the vinegar was not, it's not the end of the prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. There was a, a bunch more that's going to have to be fulfilled. And so it, it cannot be just the fulfillment of prophecy. We know that, that uh, uh, Psalm 31 said, Into thy hand I commit my spirit, thou hast redeemed me, O God, O Lord God of truth. And later uh, he's going to say those words, Father, into my hands I commend my spirit. Yet to be fulfilled also was the prophecy that uh, he would have no uh, broken bones in, in Psalms uh, uh, 34 and verse, uh, we read there this morning, Psalms 34, uh, well, we didn't read this, uh, it, uh, Psalms 34 and verse uh, 20, he keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. And so that was a, a fulfilled prophecy there in, in John 19, 32 and 34. And then in, in Psalms 22, uh, I'm kind of rambling here. I think I lost some of you. Psalms uh, 22, uh, oh, I don't have the reference, uh, but uh, in 1934, uh, he says, uh, but the soldiers with the spear pierced his side and, and forthwith came out blood and water. And that's a prophecy from Psalms 22 and verse 18. Thou part my garments and cast lots among them. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't sleep well last night, I guess. Okay. Uh, anyway, there's, the point is this. There's more prophecies to be fulfilled. Uh, and so when Jesus said, it is finished, it wasn't about uh, the end of, of prophecy. It was about the work of the Lord. Let's go over to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 7, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written, To do thy will, O God, 
Above when he says, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he might establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so uh, the whole point, and that wasn't presented very well, is that what was finished is the work of redemption. What was finished was the payment for sin. What was finished is what he came to do. And John, earlier in chapter 4, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. And then Jesus clearly said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto you, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And we find that, of course, prophesied throughout the Bible. Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Titus says, Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And so the payment has been made. He has suffered. Now, what are, uh, <coughs> what are the, what, how can, what are the proofs, what are some proofs that the payment, that the proofs that the payment was sufficient? Why, it, why couldn't it have been it is accomplished? Are, th are there any proofs in the Bible, biblical proofs, that this payment was adequate, that it was sufficient? Well, I think one of the proofs is found in Mark chapter 15 and verse 38. I'm sorry, verse, yeah, verse 38. Verse 37, Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Now, what is the significance of all of that? Uh, that he's, he's died, and the Bible says that over in the temple, that the temple veil was rent from the top uh, to the bottom. I've read, I, I've read some, some statements about the quality of that veil and how it was very thick, that it, it couldn't have been easily torn. I'm not sure how in the, in the temple structure, uh, I, I'm not sure how tall uh, the veil was, it seemed to have been a pretty massive uh, structure. 
But it's significant here that it says that when it was when it was tore, it was it was tore from the top down to the bottom. I don't know. There must have been the way that it was ripped apart. You could see that it was from the top to the bottom. But what what is the significance of that? What what uh, takes place here that that uh, that has not taken place in Jewish history. Well, you know that on the Day of Atonement and the priest, that the high priest could only go one time a year back into, the, into this temple, and it was restricted from all others. And back in here is going to be uh, the furniture uh, with the angels uh, above it. And all this is open now uh, to the world. Well, it's significant in that it's, it's, it's talking about how there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It's talking about the fact that we can boldly come into the throne of grace, uh, boldly come to him and obtain grace to help in the time of need. That access, that access to God was complete in, this, in the death of the cross. That it opened up a way for mankind to, to uh, get to the Lord. And so uh, we have an opportunity uh, to, every man has an opportunity to come to God in repentance and faith and have access to God. And so we're talking about the question, what, what is the evidence the evidence that, that this work of the Christ was satisfactory. What is the evidence? Well, one is access to God was symbolized by the, by the veil being torn. The second, the second thing that tells me that it, it was finished is the grave is empty. It's always been the design of God's legal plan that's been carried down even into our society is that when the payment for the crime has been done, then the prisoner is released. And uh, sometimes capital punishment would um, make the payment uh, eternal that is, uh, he has to forfeit his life. But if, if someone was sentenced to three years in prison and he did his time, then he should be set free. It would be a, a, criminal, a criminal injustice if a person was, uh, was given five years in prison and... Uh, have to serve 15 years in prison.
God has a penalty uh, for sin. It's, uh, it's on the books. This is what happens. That the wages, the penalty, the fine, the wages of sin is death. Keep in mind that death is not the ceasing of existence, but death is a separation. That's why that's why John MacArthur and and and, and other Calvinists, uh, Piper, different Calvinists. They really like to, they, uh, let, me, let me chase a rabbit here just for a second. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 1. And you hath he quickened made alive, quicken means to make alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And what uh, John MacArthur and Piper and Sproul and the more famous Calvinists of the day say is that a dead person can't breathe, he can't walk, he can't talk. And before a person can be born again, he has to first be regenerated. He has to be made alive. And so God comes along. He makes this person alive. And now he can, now he can make a decision to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. But until God makes them alive, because they're dead, until God makes them alive, they can't accept Christ as their Savior. But if you look at the passage, let me ask you this. Do dead people sin? They can't do anything, can they? And so if you're going to say that this means that they have, there's no ability in them, then there's no ability for them to sin either. And so death, you have to remember that death doesn't mean the ceasing of activity, but it means a separation. And so technically... When a person dies, his soul and his body is separated, but his soul lives on. Uh, and a person who is, is uh, uh, spiritually dead, his soul is alive, but he's separated from God. And so here, when we're, when we're talking about the uh, the the evidence that his, uh, his sacrifice on the cross was accepted is the fact that the grave is empty. Why is the grave empty? Because he paid the penalty in its completeness. And no longer is he going to be held underneath that conviction, uh, underneath that sentence, because he, he fulfilled the sentence. He, he, the, the requirement 
is, is fulfilled. I'm glad you guys don't take spelling from me. Uh, I don't know if that's even right yet. Fulfilled. I think it's just one, uh, three L's in the whole thing. Uh, and so there was an evidence. Uh, the grave is empty. The veil was rent. And Jesus had said, it is finished. Now, let's, let's uh, consider a little bit now, not the evidence, but the effect. The effect of it is finished. We know that, that God says that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. We know that the wages of sin is death. But a thousand years before Christ died on the cross, David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Was David a sinner? Of course he was. Yet, the Lord said, the soul that sinneth it shall die. And David said, I'm not dying. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where is the justice in that? Where, where why is God basically uh, playing favorites to those in the Old Testament that Abraham looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God, which speaks of the heavenly Jerusalem and eternity. Well, all that discussion came up when Paul was writing to the Romans. And go with me to chapter 3 of Romans. Now we know that what things that the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so all the world is condemned. All the world deserves the payment, the wage of sin. Verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so he says, uh, everybody's guilty. Your deeds cannot make you right. Your deeds just emphasize and give you a greater knowledge of your sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And so the question that is on the table is how can God be righteous and overlook the Old Testament sins? Well, he says the answer is in the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. And so this righteousness, this question of righteousness is found within faith in Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Propitiation. Many want it just to be applied to his sacrifice. But propitiation carries with it the understanding that God's wrath has been appeased, been satisfied. Who God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness. So he says, God's not been unrighteous to forgive Old Testament saints. For the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And so he's talking about those past sins. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, that God has been just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And so the point that was being made is that God has never been unjust because he'd always seen Christ as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But now that Jesus has died upon the cross, you cannot ever question the justice of God for the forgiveness of sin of the saints in the Old Testament. They were paid in a point in time once and for all. And so what, did the, what, did the, what was the effect of it? Well, it, it, the effect of it was it, it verified God's justice and the forgiveness of sin. Because what you got to understand is this, that when it talks about the wages of sin, all wages will be paid. Whether you accept Christ and he paid him, or whether you don't accept Christ and you pay him, all wages will be paid. And so the Old Testament saints were living on credit until the payment was made. Know also <clears throat> that this not only affected God, but also it's going to affect Satan. Go over to uh, Hebrews chapter 2.
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that is Christ, he became flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver them also through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. You see, this is uh, actually the great, uh, I don't know, dilemma, you can could, you could say that. It's the great uh, misunderstanding on the table of our society with this COVID epidemic. People don't understand why you don't wear a mask because, because you could die. And Christians say, so what? To live as Christ, to die is gain. And so when Christ died on the cross and those who put their faith in him, this, you know, Satan come along and say, if you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to kill you. And we say, have at it. Take your best shot for me to live as Christ and to die, man, I'm home. And so he's saying here that, that, that when, when uh, Christ died upon the cross, he took all that, and those who have put their faith and trust in, in, in that death of Christ on the cross, it says here that he has destroyed him that hath the power of death, that is the devil. He's destroyed his influence in, in, in dominating over my life, that I, have to, that I have to do these things, that I have to, you know, I have to hang on to life. I have to try to keep working out, and I have to try to uh, maintain life. And uh, he, that was taken away from him. But it even goes deeper than that. And that is this. Satan is history. He's done. He's going around and he's, he's uh, talking loud. He is having influence in the lost people's lives. But uh, he is going to face eternal judgment in uh, in the, the coming judgment. And also, the effect of this not only affected God and verified God's judgment, and affected Satan, took his power away, but it affects believers. God sent his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. And the song goes on, because he lives, 
I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And, and I, think that, I think that we forget that a little bit and had forgotten it in this time. Listen, he's alive. Fear should be gone. I uh, was reading last week about um, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith talks about man's chief purpose. And uh, it said that man's chief purpose was to glorify God and to enjoy him for eternity. And I got to thinking about that. And you know, uh, we can get up in the morning and 40 below and the car won't start and we need to be someplace and, and uh, a lot less things than that disturb us. And I began to question myself, Humphrey, uh, did you enjoy God today? Not only, you know, I think we always think about we need to live our lives to glorify him, and we should, but we ought to, we ought to live our lives enjoying him, enjoying his company, enjoying his presence, recognizing that he is here, that he cares, that I can cast all my care upon him. And just the fact that I can look at his blue sky and breathe his air and uh, have family and friends and to have him speak peace to my heart, to know that I am my beloved's and he is mine and his banner over me is love. Well, uh, one of the things that happened at the cross was that I could Rejoice with joy unspeakable. Titus says, not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, and so he cleansed me. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God that I've been saved, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to our own purpose and grace. And so, what what we find here, and what I'm trying to get across in the, as believers, that the effect of the empty grave, the effect of the cross, the effect of the word, that it is finished, that it not only, it not only verified the justice of God, and so God's, God was affected, and that he was just, and it's proven that Satan is affected because he has no power. And I am affected. Believers are affected. And here's what we need to understand. That basically, when you get down to it, there's only really two religions in the world. And two philosophies. <clears throat> One philosophy is the philosophy, we're talking about religion, is the philosophy of do. Do more praying. Do more meditating. 
live the best life you can. And, and on and on and on and on for the various religions of the world. The second philosophy, not really a philosophy, but a fact, is done. How did, this, how did the death of Christ saying it is finished affect me? Well, it affected me in the fact that it's done. There's no more I have to do. There's no more required of me. It's done. I mean, there's something wonderful about being able to do a job and then at the end say, it's done, it's finished. But there's something wonderful about, about my own personal life and eternity that I don't have to go through. You know, I've asked people in times, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And they say, well, you know, I don't think anybody can really know until they die. And, and then they'll know. No, no, no. It's done. It's finished. I know where I'm going. That the work of redemption is done. Oh, I'm way over time. One minute. I, got to, I'm, I can get this story in. Many years ago, an Englishman by the name of Ebenezer Wooten was holding a tent revival meeting on the village green of the town called Lidford Brook. The last service was over and the crowd was leaving and he was busy about taking down the tent. A young man approached the evangelist and asked, Mr. Wooten, what must I do to be saved? To which Wooten said, too late. In a matter-of-fact way, as he glanced at the young man and continued his work, too late, my friend, it's too late. And the startled young man said, oh, don't say that, Mr. Wooten. Surely it isn't too late just because the meetings are over. Yes, my friend, answered the evangelist, looking at the questioner straight in the eye. It's too late. You want to know what you must do to be saved? And I tell you, you're a hundred of years too late. The work of salvation is done, completed, finished. It was finished on the cross, and Jesus said so with the last breath he drew. What more do you want? And so today, if you're still in a state of indecision, wondering how can I really know where I'm going to spend eternity, and maybe not even realizing that <laughs> you're condemned, what must you do? Well, you simply must believe what has been done and put your faith in it and trust upon it. Jesus said it is finished and the great work of salvation is finished. And all we must do is rest our lives upon it. Okay? All right, next week, uh, I commend my spirit.